So join with me in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, and then later we'll be in Matthew chapter number 1. We're going to look at this one term, Emmanuel. This term means literally God with us. That's what the Bible teaches us. And as we look at this, I, I want to just encourage you regarding this scripture tonight. Last week we heard a great message from Dr. Weigel uh, entitled, Let Us Go to Bethlehem. And what a great starter for the month of December as we begin to look at some mes messages that remind us of the very first coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing, uh, a wonderful uh, job he did last week. So thankful for the message he shared with us. Isaiah chapter 7 in verse, uh, verses, uh, verse 14, we see another important scripture regarding the coming Messiah. Someone has said, if you could convince a man that there is no hope, he would curse the day he was born. You see, hope for humans, all human beings, is an indispensable quality of life. We need hope. Years ago, an S4 submarine was rammed by another ship, and quickly it sank to the bottom of the sea. And the entire crew was trapped inside the vessel and they were running out of water. And it seemed that disaster was on the horizon. No one knew if the crew was alive or well. And on those few hours underneath the water, they worked desperately to, to rescue these men that may be alive. And so crews from, from call all over came and uh, helped in the rescue operation. Divers went down and they put an ear to the hole and they tried to listen. And as they did, one diver who came to this rescue, he heard someone was tapping Morse code. And the question that was brought to this man through his ears that was tapped through Morse code was, is there any hope? You see, we want hope. This Christmas season, we're looking for hope. We're looking for hope. The world is seeking some sort of a assurance, some sort of a hope, some sort of a promise from God. And I'm so thankful that in the midst of the tragedies that were surrounding Israel at the time, God offers hope. And so thankful we can do this. You know, really, the cry of all humanity is this question, is there any hope? Throughout various circumstances and situations, the cry can be heard, is there hope? On March 2nd, 1791, Wesley, John Wesley opened his eyes and exclaimed for the very last time on his deathbed these very words. The best of all uh, is this, God is with us. You see, because that little statement, that one word, Emmanuel, reminds us that there is still hope. Hope in his presence. And tonight I hope that as we look at the Christmas story, as we see the Word of God and the prophecy surrounding it, that we celebrate, uh, as we celebrate Christmas, we're reminded of the hope that Christ has brought to us through the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, in the very beginning of the garden, God was able to walk with man. There was no sin between him and man, and he enjoyed a time of great, uh, just great unity with, with Adam. And, but that unity was destroyed when sin entered in, and sin came, and it destroyed that communion between God and man. And, and then we saw Adam hiding from God, and we saw Adam struggling in this situation. And we're told uh, in Genesis 3.15 that one day a Redeemer would come, and he would cleanse us from our sins. And that's what the angel told Joseph, that the child Mary was carrying a part of God with him, God, part of God's plan. And he said in Matthew 1, 21, And he shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call uh, his name Jesus, for he shall save his people 
from their sins. That's what Jesus came for. That's the purpose of Christ today. That's the hope that we have today is that Jesus is the hope of the nations. He is our way of salvation, the only way of salvation. And this is the plan that God laid out, is the plan that offers eternal hope to all men for all time. And this is the message that God has, God with us. So join me in your Bibles, in Isaiah chapter 7. I hope that you have them there in your living room. Uh, And if you'll take those Bibles and join with me there. In Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse number 4 together. And we're going to read from the prophet Isaiah and, and just share a little bit about what's going on here in this moment. It says, And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason, with Syria and of the son Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah, and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely ye shall not be established." Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a son. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And I'm going to continue the next two verses. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou pourest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Let's pray together this evening. Father, thank you for the the Word of God. Thank you for the power of God. Lord, that in God's Word, Lord, you've shared with us uh, not just the prophecies of the coming Christ, but the reality of the coming Christ, and Lord, even the future of our coming Christ. How we look forward to these things. And Lord, we are so thankful for what you've given to us this Christmas season, that no longer are we alone, but Lord, we have hope through your presence. We thank you and praise you, God. May you just guide us in this situation in this night. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here together at the verses, I want to just encourage you that as we look here, there's a couple of of truths that we want to share with you out of Isaiah. And I want to just first off take a look at this Old Testament prophecy because here in the Old Testament Isaiah, we see among the prophetic books, there's none that is probably as well known as the prophet Isaiah. Not only does it contain the grandest literature ever produced, but it also contains some of the fullest and clearest statements of God's relation to, uh, to suffering humanity. And so Isaiah ministered during the time of Ahaz and Hezekiah, two different kings, one who was wicked, one who was vile, selfish king, and another one that God used greatly as a good king and learned to trust God in everything he did. And so let me just begin by sharing a little bit of a background of this passage so that we understand the situation. And verses 1 through 4 kind of lay that background for us 
The time is about the 8th century before uh, Christ. The nation of Israel, once a strong and mighty nation under the leadership of David and Solomon, has diminished to just a tattered uh, band, an insignificant amount of people who were clinging to their former glory. They had been divided. They have gone through a rebellion. They had gone through many uh, different uh, occasions where they had been attacked. And they just, what was left of, uh, is just simply focused on Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which was the residence of the king. Jerusalem, which was the location of the Lord's temple. And, and at this time, there was a man in charge in Jerusalem who was a king by the name of Ahaz. Now, his elderly father, the father of Ahaz, Jotham, was still alive. And he was king in name. But really, Ahaz was the one that held the reins to all the, uh, the power. And he controlled all the affairs of state. Unfortunately, King Ahaz was an evil man. He was an ungodly king. And to date, he would have been one of the most vile kings that Judah would have had to endure. And he was a man who was known to have sacrificed his own children to false gods. Truly, this was a man without scruples. His kingdom from the beginning was already known as a kingdom full of trouble, of trial... A kingdom where they were experiencing great hardships and internal and external pressures were applied to Ahaz. On the foreign scene beyond Judah at this time were a couple of nations that exercised immediate influence on Judah. The first one was Israel. Now Israel was the northern kingdom uh, and then Judah was the southern kingdom. And that northern kingdom, Israel, uh, had a succession of kings that were predominantly evil and led the country uh, into idol worship and led the country into worshiping of all kinds of false gods. And so Israel had long ago strayed from the truth of God's word. But here was Israel and then there was another country called Aram, or, or, which would be modern day Syria. And these two nations together exhorted very great pressure on Ahaz to capitulate to the, their demands. And there were within uh, Israel and the northern kingdom, we see several political uh, factions were vying for power. It was a very turbulent time in Israel's history. On the wider scene, beyond these two nations, was uh, the time of Assyrian expansion. And the kingdom of Assyria was on the rise. Tiglath-Pileser, who was the Assyrian king, was bent on conquest at this time. Fortunately for Judah, she was sheltered by the two kingdoms to her north, both Israel and Aram. And they, those two nations stood between her and the king of Assyria. Now, although Israel and Aram had been adversaries for many years, the threats of the Assyrian expansion Forge an alliance between them. It's like as if uh, the enemy of my enemy makes you uh, my friend. And so they sought to include Ahaz in their alliance to go against this king of the north, this king of Assyria. Uh, but Ahaz refused. And as a result, we see Israel and Aram who conspired uh, to invade Judah and place their own man on the throne. And this is all is happening right here in this text, little Judah managed to hold off these two larger powers, but the future for that little country remained bleak. It looked dire, and surely they could not hold out against this sustained siege of these two larger, uh, more powerful armies. And needless to say, the mood in Judah was not optimistic. 
It was not where they were saying, man, I can't wait uh, for tomorrow, but they were expecting any moment for, uh, for the enemy to attack and to be overrun. And enters at this moment the prophet Isaiah. And this is where we pick up in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 4, because in 7, 4, we see where the prophet Isaiah says, And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken counsel evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. And so God's message to Ahab Ahaz at this time uh, to his people, Judah, was that he had not abandoned them. His covenant of promise, of protection was still in effect. He says, listen, I've seen this threat. I've seen all that's going on. I know that these people are, are threatening to attack you. I know that you're going through this. He says, but don't worry. Their armies are about to be destroyed. Just trust me. That was his message. They had nothing to fear from the military threat which they faced. Remember, for God, these armies were nothing. This is the same God who Israel saw do miraculous feats in battle uh, in, in years in, uh, in their past. And, and here, again, God is reminding Ahaz. He says, listen, don't forget, I am God. Trust in me. Within 65 years, those countries would be destroyed. But in his despair over the threat that Ahaz was facing, he and in all of that he was going through, he should have turned to the Word of God. He should have turned to God's Word and received comfort and, and God's promise and that encouragement that only God could provide. And in, in Psalms, for perhaps something like this, Psalms chapter 46, which is a well-known uh, book of the Bible or chapter of the Bible, in verse number 7, here's this reassurance that God offers. He says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He's the one that we turn to. He is the, the, the place that is our shelter. He is the one that we can depend upon. But instead, we notice his response in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in, de in the depth or in the height above. In other words, God said, listen, if you doubt, if you're questioning, just ask me. Ask for a sign, I'll demonstrate to you. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And in his false piety, he said, neither will I tempt the Lord. He was telling Isaiah, he said, listen. Basically, he said, I've already made up my mind. I've already decided who I'm going to trust. I already decided what my response was going to be. And so God gives Ahaz a sign regardless. And so there's a sign of hope that is offered. If you remember, and in the book of Judges, there's a man named Gideon who was a judge. And this man named Gideon was a, was a, a man that God used greatly. 
And Gideon, uh, though not a perfect man, uh, was a man that feared the Lord. And God sent an angel one day to call him to march against the armies uh, that were invading the land, the Midianites who were invading the land of Israel. And as uh, Gideon uh, heard the message of the angel, he said, listen, I just want a sign. Is this really what God wants me to do or did I eat some bad taco meat from Taco Bell? But the reality was is that Ahaz said, listen, I don't want any confirmation that this is from God because I want to do what I want to do. And so God offers a sign here. His reputation is that of an ungodly king. He doesn't care what God wanted. He doesn't care if he tempted the Lord. His whole life had been a life of temptation. He'd offered his children on the sacrifices of Baal and other false worships of of false gods. He killed his own children so that he could worship these false gods. He didn't care if he tempted God. It was a false piety because he did not care. He didn't want to know what God had. He was going to trust his nation, his own fate, to that in the hands of the Assyrians instead of trusting God. He didn't want any evidence. He didn't want to see the drastic reality that his decision decision would have warranted. Instead, any sign provided by Isaiah could have only been an embarrassment to him. So he attempts to just avoid this dilemma and by an appeal to just trying to, to come off as pious. But then enters a nosy prophet of God. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the man of God? Aren't you thankful for the the servants of the Lord who will stand up and teach and preach truth no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance? Isaiah says, listen, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to share with you the reality of this situation. And so we hear, see Isaiah speak up in verses 13 and 14. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah rebukes Ahaz. I love that Isaiah is willing to stand up to this evil king. I love that Isaiah was willing to say, let me speak the truth to you right now. But, but as we see in verse number 14, the word you, he, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Not just Ahaz, but the entire nation of Judah will receive a sign from God. A sign that God later reveals to us in Matthew. A sign that would be fulfilled in the greatest way when the, the, the Emmanuel, the God with us, this babe born in a manger, would be revealed to all men. This is the sign of hope that we have this Christmas season. And the reason that, that, that God offers for us hope in the midst of despair is because Jesus, God himself, came down to be with man. And I want to mention that he is a Savior for all. In the Gospel... Look at Matthew chapter 1 with me. We see the hope of Judah that is offered as a sign. Matthew's gospel introduces us to Jesus Christ, the son of David. It is one of his chief concerns to portray to his readers the fulfillment of the Old Testament messianic hopes of the greater David who was to come. This is Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing that God has done for us. 
And after recording the genealogy of the Messiah, it was in the first in the first 17 chapters of Matthew, he turns to an account of the circumstances of the Messiah's birth. And let's read this together. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. What an incredible thing that God has done for us here. Matthew, we see here, he is quoting from Isaiah. And he's demonstrating and applies this prophecy from 800 years prior to now to the birth of this wonderful, blessed son, Jesus Christ. This, this son of God that was born lowly and in a manger the one that we celebrate this Christmas season. I remember as a child, as a parent, the hope, the excitement, the joy that came with the birth of our first child. And I remember in the hospital, many of you were there to join us as we celebrated that birth nearly uh, 13 and a half years ago. And as we were there in the hospital, we were just jubilant with excitement. And, and I think every parent looks at their firstborn child and says, this is the hope of the next generation. Well, Jesus was much more than just the hope of that generation. He's the hope of our generation today as well. You see, because he didn't stop being hope just because he died on the cross. But the cross magnified the hope of who Jesus is. I want you to think about this word Emmanuel with me. You'll notice from Isaiah to Matthew, the spelling is slightly different. And that's just as a result of the spelling in the, in the original manuscripts. But the word Emmanuel is broken up into two parts. The, in the Old Testament, there's I-M-M-A-N-U, a word which in the Hebrew means with us. And the last two letters, E-L, which means God. Literally, God with us. That's who Jesus Christ is today. He is God with us. God sent to fulfill this great prophecy. He was the great Emmanuel. He is the one that God sent to be with us. It is His birth that brought once again the glories of heaven to, to earth to live with us. I remind you of John chapter 1 and verse number 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
the purpose, his purpose for coming was twofold. One was to do the will of the Father. We see that played out in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that as he says, the Son of Man is to come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then he, as he prepared for his death, he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. We see that Christ came to do the will of the Father in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 5 through 7. It says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared, uh, prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. You see, Jesus knew, knew that his purpose, his will, was to do the will of the Father. Christ fulfilled the will of God, not just when he came to this earth to be born of a virgin, but when he came and he, was, and he died on the cross. You see, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he fulfilled all the requirements that were needed from the Old Testament law to redeem us from our sin, to reconcile us back to the Father so that once again we can enjoy a unity with God like never before. His sacrifice was the final sacrifice ever needed. And when he died on that cross, the veil was split from the top to the bottom, signifying no longer would we need that Old Testament sacrifice because he, the ultimate sacrifice, laid down his life so that we might have hope this Christmas season. But he also represents God to man. This babe in a manger the miracle worker who walked the streets of Jerusalem, the man who died upon the cross, and the, the resurrected God all represent the character of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Even in the book of John, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, listen, when you see me, he said, you see the Father. I represent him because I am God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3 says, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen, he was God represented on earth for us. How treasure, what a treasure we have in Jesus Christ today. God with us. For us to experience God with us means that we know He's near us. We know that all fear is banished. And when He is here, we don't have to doubt. We don't have to worry because we know He is God. Today, our need is no less important than that need in the 8th century. Our need is actually greater because it is a need for the person of God to come down and to offer life for all men. The one who was in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for selfish, selfish advantage, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says it like this, Who being in the form of God thought it not a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness 
of man. You see, the story of Christmas is a story of Emmanuel. It's the message, God with us. The story of God's presence with us, the enormous significance of that event, today brings hope in the midst of all that we're going through. I found it kind of ironic that the Lord would lay this message on my heart and then have to come to a place where we had to shut down in-person services. How poignant at this time that we're reminded that even when we feel alone and isolated, that we can have the very presence of God. Because He promised us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. And it all comes when we come to Jesus Christ. And we come to Him and say, Lord, I cannot save myself. I cannot, I cannot do this on my own Instead, God says, listen, you must call out to Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one that loves you. He is the one that died for you. He is the one that today that offers for you salvation. And today, He invites you to come and put your faith in Him. So tonight, I, this is a little bit of a different kind of a service. But I want to invite you tonight to, to come and maybe you, you're lost today. Maybe you don't know this God of salvation, this Jesus Christ who came, who literally is the Emmanuel, the God with us. You don't, maybe you don't know him and the assurance that he has for you in your life. And let me just remind you that tonight that God offers for you the hope of eternal life through Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you like to have that assurance? God says you can. And tonight, if you'd reach out to us, we'll take time to call you, to reach out, to maybe to visit you, and share with you the hope that comes when you put your faith in Christ.